Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. Get it? With your Wednesday Night Wars edition of the wrestling podcast that you know is absolutely, positively glorious. Not only that, today's show will also serve as your ultimate preview for NXT TakeOver in your house. And you know we are geeked up about that on getting over we will discuss everything that went down last night on aew dynamite and nxt before previewing the entire pay-per-view on sunday be sure to check out our episode description for timestamps if you're only interested in one show or the other only want the ultimate preview whatever the case we have timestamps in every episode description here on getting over so be sure to utilize them if you see Fit. Before we get the ball rolling today, you guys know the drill. Follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We need to build the Twitter and social media audience. You guys, if you don't follow, if you don't have a Twitter account, you should because we talk about wrestling all week long. We retweet stuff. Certainly original thoughts for me. I mean, I don't know how original they are, but thoughts from me about the wrestling programs that I'm watching. Uh, certainly episode releases new information. We do whatever we can to make that Twitter account interesting. There's also polls on there that do impact the show as you listen to it. So you get the opportunity to vote and have your voice be heard as well. Of course, you can follow me, the Silver King on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Please, if you have not already, and I know based on how many of you listen to the show that not all of you have, not even close, in fact, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Please give us that five-star rating leave a review. You know I'm getting over. It is all about the five. And in this time, people are looking for entertainment. I hope I'm entertaining you. I don't know if I do, but go ahead. Tell a friend about your favorite wrestling podcast. Tell a family member, a coworker, tell your doctor, tell your lawyer. I don't care if they like wrestling, have them listen to Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Okay. We are going to move into breaking down the Wednesday night shows. As I said, Before we get out of here at the end of the show, we're also going to have the ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver in your house. I will be answering some DM questions both as we go and in a short segment at the end. And we will do very quick previews of Raw and SmackDown, at least what they've announced. It has not been much uh, for WWE's upcoming shows. But we are going to get started with AEW Dynamite. The truth is, folks, I really wanted to start with Drake Maverick, but it didn't make a lot of sense to go NXT, then AEW, and then give you the TakeOver Ultimate Preview. So we're going to start with Dynamite, and I thought it was a relatively good show this week. I thought AEW and NXT, again, I think for the second straight week, were pretty equal in terms of critical quality of the two-hour program. I was entertained, there was some good matches, storylines were interesting, but also, whereas last week I thought both were awesome, this week I thought they were good. And and I don't necessarily believe that's a negative to say, hey, both shows were good and entertaining. I'm glad I watched them, but I didn't think either of them were anything special. Uh, We'll start, though, with the main event of Dynamite. Cody retaining the TNT title over Jungle Boy in what I thought was a good match. This being the main event showed that this was not a strong episode, despite really solid promotion from AEW. And that is something that they do an exceedingly good job of promoting each week's Dynamite and promoting their pay-per-views. But that said, I'm always very happy when title matches and main event matches get nearly 20 minutes, which should be a standard on Wednesday nights when you have wrestlers the quality that AEW and NXT do. 
Now, in this match, you know, the first 10 minutes, I could have done without them. They were pretty boring, slow, methodical. I know they were building up to the finish, but it, it left a lot to be desired for a main event, especially when you have two guys who you know can go in Cody and Jungle Boy. Of course, we did get Cody Blade Job number 47 in AEW during this match. It seems like any high-intensity match, Cody has to show color and has to bleed. Uh, now, while I didn't love the first 10 minutes of the match, the last eight were extremely entertaining with the great fall-down table spot outside the ring, um, you know, the, the finish, Cody hitting his finisher and then cradling Jungle Boy's head, kind of akin to how Shawn Michaels cradled Ric Flair's head after retiring him. I thought that was a little strange. It was almost identical to that. Um, nevertheless, it was a nice emotional moment. It was a rare main event where you get that much face positivity, where you have the groups from both camps kind of coming to the ring at the end and all celebrating together. But I would be remiss if I did not criticize the fact that AEW gave Cody pyro for a successful mid-card title defense to end the show. It is just, I don't know if it's all tongue-in-cheek at this point, and it's all like a mockery of the fact that Cody is getting all this additional production that no one else does or no one else would, but it just, I saw that and I, I laughed out loud at the ridiculousness of it. So you can say I'm a hater for that. I really don't think I am. I think it's a legitimate criticism there. All right, now moving into the start of the show and working down, I'm a huge fan of the Kenny Omega and Hangman Page pairing, and they were really good again here, teaming up with the tag team titles on the line. That said, the match itself didn't really get it done for me. I'm not a huge fan of Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian. He's talented, but the combination of them, one's faster paced, one's kind of slower and more brutal. Right off the beginning of the match, there were weapons involved and distractions. It just, it didn't really work for me as an entire match. But again, Omega and Page are great together. Now, Jimmy Havoc did pop me with the Shoryuken when he screamed it when he, while he was hitting the European uppercut on Kenny Omega. That's really funny. Anyone that knows Omega knows he's a big video game guy. So that was a little Easter egg there. A commentary, I don't even think heard it or didn't mention it, whatever the case. Uh, but what I did take away from AEW on Wednesday, and this is not a unique take by any means, but AEW is really clearly and easily asserting itself as having the best tag team division in American professional wrestling. And that is with some of their best teams not even competing at this time. I mean, the Young Bucks, they're having matches here and there, but they're not in the title picture. Certainly the Lucha Bros aren't really around. Santana and Ortiz are not in the title picture. They're hardly wrestling. And when they do, it's either in like a six-man tag or one of them will have a singles match. But FTR, you know, that interview that they had in, I guess it was the Jaguars facility with Tony Schiavone, running down that list of names, it really made it obvious how strong the tag team division is. And it also is a shame because they told us when AEW started, it's now been about 17 months, that tag teams were going to be featured heavily. And while they have had big matches, it has not been a main event program, really, the tag team scene. And that's what they told us it was going to be. And that's what the teams in this division should be demanding. And, and I guess with FTR there, maybe it will happen. So, you know, WWE, they're struggling right now. Certainly the Usos, one of them is injured. Um, the Raw tag team picture is exceedingly weak. SmackDown is strong, but not really being utilized. And NXT is the weakest it's been 
really in what, five years? I mean, they basically don't have tag teams and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So AEW does really have that opportunity to, to get its footing as the best tag team wrestling um, in the United States. And I think in many ways, they've already proven that here and there. Uh, but I kind of want to see it and I want to see it main event shows. I want that. I want Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Young Bucks in the main event. Uh, and I know that they had a great pay-per-view match, but in the main event of a Dynamite or against Santana and Ortiz in the main event of a Dynamite. So I want to see these things start happening. I do like the idea of FTR not touching the Young Bucks until it's in the ring with a match and both teams at 100%. I thought that was a really unique way to kind of say, hey, look, we're st- just starting out here. We're going to f- get in other feuds and do other things. But when that match happens, it's going to be special. Uh, there were a couple interesting social media segments and promos over the week, one with Tully Blanchard uh, and Sean Spears, and then another with Diamond Dallas Page sharing the diamond cutter, basically gifting it to QT Marshall. And they were actually two of the best wrestling things, period, we saw the entire week. They didn't show the DDP one on Dynamite. They showed just the tail end of the Tully one with Sean Spears, and that was to move into a segment on Dynamite about Blanchard giving Spears a black glove and saying that's going to turn his career around. So it, it at least does have me curious about Spears, who again, two weeks ago, I completely wrote off. I don't know if it's going to work. They've tried so many things with him. WWE tried a lot of things with him as well. But I'm glad that they're doing something as opposed to nothing. And I am interested to see where it goes. Uh, since Brian Cage is the number one contender for the AEW world title, and he's really, in terms of real competition, only been in that ladder match. I would really like to see him not face jobbers and actually go up against some of the lower card wrestlers in AEW. A QT Marshall, single individuals from tag teams. I want to see him beat real people. If you're going to promote in one month's time that he's going to have a world title match against John Moxley. I'm not saying he needs to go over Cody or anything like that, but you know, I wouldn't mind him fighting Luchasaurus and beating him clean. Uh, and he, I guess he's maybe closer to a mid-carder. And that's, again, another team I didn't even mention about AEW's strong tag team division. Him and Jungle Boy, very good together. But I want to see Brian Cage beat real people. So I hope starting next week, they do that. Now, uh, while his match was a squash and Taz's promo was good, Moxley absolutely crushed his response promo. Might be my favorite promo from him so far in AEW. In fact, I'm going to pull off Might. It is my favorite pro, uh, promo from him so far in AEW. I actually got a DM uh, from Nick Z. Let me hit the sound. Uh, at nzannyboney93. He said, that was the best promo I've ever seen Mox Dean cut. Probably the best in AEW. Curious to what you think about promos from the in-ring talent. I feel like Cody and Jericho have had a couple good ones, but there's no real standout from anyone else. I think that's actually pretty true. Jericho, insanely consistent. There's a couple here and there where I haven't loved it. Last week with Tyson, I didn't love his actual promo. I thought it just, the whole thing meandered and it was very long and boring. Uh, but most of Jericho's promos are great. And the one he cut against Vanguard is an all-timer. Cody had an all-timer as well. The Silver Spoon promo that he cut uh, ahead of his big title match against Chris Jericho. But the last couple Cody promos, including the one I believe it was last week that I criticized, I really haven't liked. And they were kind of, again, a word I don't like using, but sometimes it's the one that fits, a bit cringy for me. Uh, So this promo, it was definitely Moxley's best in AEW. 
It was not AEW's best promo, though, because Jericho and Cody have both had better ones, probably multiple better ones than this. But it was very good. You know, there's only been so many main eventers so far in AEW. So it's tough to kind of say that they have a promo issue. I don't think they have one. Uh, They have people that can talk. MJF can cut promos. Um, Brody Lee has done okay at times, but at other times hasn't. Matt Hardy, when he's not in the persona, is very entertaining on the mic. So I'm not going to weigh in and say they have a promo problem at all, but I am curious to see how this develops over the next year as more people get legitimate mic time. Right now, it has been a very small group of people that have been given that flexibility. So we'll see where it goes from there. To finish up here, it is a tad strange that Mox's first two challengers for his AEW title are brand new wrestlers in AEW, as opposed to people that have been there for a year and have been working towards this spot. Nevertheless, uh, the Cage Moxley match, it does have me intrigued. And, you know, with Fighter Fest, we'll talk about that in a minute. It seems like a nice, I don't, I don't want to say to throw away title match, but it does seem like, hey, let's put this out here and really figure out a strong program for All Out. I am curious what exactly Lance Archer and Jake Roberts were doing in a random scrapyard roughing up a mass wrestler. Like, why? Why, why were they there? Why were they doing that? And why was Alex Marvez so intent on finding them and talking to them? Where when you see that happening, you're just like, hey, you know what? I'll just talk to them in five minutes when they're done. It just That whole segment was weird. I didn't like it at all. Um, you know, Roberts, by the way, Jake Roberts has been someone who's cut some good promos, but he's not really a in-ring talent, of course. Uh, I, I've said before that I was real down on Matt Hardy when he first started in AEW, but I have come around as you guys have heard previously, and I've liked him a lot over the last month. The entire segment on Wednesday with Private Party and then Sammy Guevara with Hardy being his old normal person, um, it was a good turn for all involved. I thought Sammy was really funny, being scared of Matt considering he's been hit with a golf cart twice. Um, Private Party and him, the interaction was fun. I don't know why you would call the group Hardy Party when you could call them Party Hardy. That makes a lot more sense to me. But nevertheless, uh, it was a good segment. I had a lot of fun watching both of them. And I like that Matt is now realizing that he can be the multiple versions of his character. Uh, I think he calls it the multifarious Matt Hardy. And that is a better incarnation of him than just being the broken guy every single time, which is really what he mostly was for the two, first two months of his AEW tenure. The Britt Baker uh, rehab vignette was funny. And I love the stuff with Tony Schiavone basically having Stockholm Syndrome with her, where now he's totally on her side and he's and he's all about her and, and, and everything she says is the gospel. It is a very funny um, situation for Schiavone to be involved in, and it's helping Britt Baker get over. I don't really have anything to say about the Nyla Rose Big Swole match, but I did like the aggressiveness that Swole showed after it was over going after Britt Baker. It is a little strange. I understand that this was taped and Everyone was there, so it made total sense, you know, to have Britt Baker be there. But I don't think I want to see her in a wheelchair doing these same vignettes for however long her rehab is going to be. It seems like it's going to be a decent amount of time. If it's a short rehab, if it's four, six weeks, then that's totally fine. But if we're talking like four months here, um, it's going to get tired. It's going to get old. So they need to keep that in mind. And we'll finish up with AEW talking about Fighter Fest, they announced it's going to be a two-week event, July 1st and July 8th, both airing on Dynamite. 
I would normally say it should be one show, but considering the announcement is that every title in AEW is going to be on the line and knowing that AEW really puts a lot of effort and time into their title matches with them getting usually 20 plus minutes each, it would be too much to throw all of that into one show with commercials. So this was a really good decision on AEW's part. And I think it's going to crush from a ratings perspective, especially if the first episode of Fire Fighter Fest does really well and leaves a nice cliffhanger into the following week, knowing it's a two-week event, knowing that this was a, it wasn't a pay-per-view last year, but it was a special AEW event a year ago. Uh, I do think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on it. And I think it's a really smart booking decision for AEW to do that in that manner. Okay, we are moving on to NXT. And before I talk about Drake Maverick and the main event of the show, I want to note that, I mean, everyone realizes this was a go-home show for TakeOver In Your House. And it is really incredible and it's almost insulting, especially as someone who you guys know does have a preference for NXT. But WWE does such an insanely poor job of promoting NXT. For this go-home show, they booked two matches ahead of time. One title match, one singles women's match that it mattered in storyline, but it wasn't going to draw viewers. And then they said they were going to have two prime target features, which they did. But they had zero mention of anyone on the card itself being on NXT, not live interviews or segments or, you know, a singles tune-up match or anything like that. So they had nothing live scheduled for Adam Cole or Undisputed Era, Velveteen Dream, Karrion Cross, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Keith Lee, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, or Io Shirai. They didn't even announce the fact that there was a tag team number one contenders triple threat match. Even if they had just decided to do that like right before the show, again, I'm almost positive this episode was taped, but even if they even if they had, let's say it was live, and even if they had just decided to do it at 1 p.m., they never even tweeted about it. I think the NXT Twitter account, and yes, I do realize there's a lot of real life stuff that's going on, and maybe WWE trimmed down and calmed down some of its social media stuff, but they barely promoted this episode of NXT. It just is mind-numbing to me that they have this product that is actually a high-quality product, and they're trying to compete with AEW, which has such a strong promotional arm, not just on social media, but TNT airs those commercials all the damn time during major events. And NXT is just like, eh, people will watch or they won't. I don't accept that. For a go-home show for a pay-per-view, like In Your House, that people are excited for, there should have been packages about the old In Your Houses to get people pumped up not just on NXT itself, but previously, they should have said, hey, not only do we have a cruiserweight title match and these prime target features, but Velveteen Dream is going to be here live. And, you know, Gargano and Keith Lee, they're going to have a face-to-face and Champa has words for carrying cross. But none of it, they didn't give us any of it. And to me, that's extremely disappointing when you have a fan base that you can win with your quality product because it is a quality product. Okay, let's get into talking about the show itself. Again, I'm going to run down NXT TV right now. Afterward, we will talk Ultimate Preview NXT TakeOver in your house. We saw in the main event, the Cruiserweight Championship, the finals of the interim NXT tournament. 
between El Hijo de Fantasma and Drake Maverick. And this match, folks, this segment was actually perfect. I'm not going to call it a five-star match because it was not a five-star match. You're not going to get a five-star match out of Drake Maverick as all respect intended. He's rather limited as a wrestler. But in terms of a segment, a wrestling main event, this to me was as close to a five-star main event as you can get without an actual five-star match happening, if that makes sense. I'm trying to explain that as clearly as I can. We'll start with NXT finally smartening up, something I've been talking about for, what, a month, two months, and giving us a real main event. 20 minutes, not 13, not eight, none of this BS that they've been giving us. A full 20-minute main event, and the match was good, man. It started with Phantasma, who really has it. He has the look. He's great in the ring. He's a really good storyteller. Teasing the future by wearing more pieces of black and white on his clothing, something he's avoided since his original vignette when he was announced to the NXT audience and it was explained that he was going to be in the tournament. The two big moves in the match were those brutal sit-down power bombs from Phantasma, one at ringside and another in the ring. And I just really appreciated the story of the entire match. You had Maverick sharing his actual pain with the audience, yet still persevering throughout, kicking out of numerous you know, high-end, not finishers, but high-end moves from Phantasma. Then you had Phantasma, who to this point, you have no reason to believe he's a heel, but he's getting frustrated. As the match goes on, he's getting more brutal and heelish. He's taking less crap from Maverick. He's getting frustrated. You have the debuting star in Phantasma, the pedigree, the luchador of legacy against the guy in Maverick who debuted in WWE as a GM, got fired in real life, and never should have been in this match. So the dichotomy, the juxtaposition between those two in this match, it was just great. It was right there for us. And the finish, I would normally criticize the character of Maverick for being the stupid face to go after the masked men who he doesn't know whether they're there to hurt him or not. But given the circumstances of the finish, he was gaining momentum. He was feeling himself so much and had so much moxie and confidence that he got overconfident and said, not only am I going to take care of this guy, I'm going to take these guys out and make sure there's nothing to interfere. Phantasm is down hurt. I'm going to roll him back in the ring and I'm going to get the win. So while you can criticize that finish for not being the cleanest, it worked for me. Mauro Ronaldo was fantastic. He sold the loss extremely well for Drake Maverick. And it was a great touch having the crowd that was there banging on the hockey glass to honor him while Maverick broke the fourth wall and spoke directly, not just into the camera, but to the fans, which he also did earlier in the show during his don't give an F, you know, promo that he had, which was also fantastic. Um, I don't even know where that was taped, but it looked like a pretty cool area in Orlando. Now, look, now we're going to get to the part that people seemingly really didn't like, uh, which is <laughs> Drake Maverick remaining employed. Um, look, it was clear folks, if you were watching that match and you saw, especially if you looked at your clock and you saw the time that was left, it was clear that Triple H was going to be coming out with a contract, but it still worked completely. And Maverick's passion was real and his tears were real. And it was just a top tier finish to a television program. People are missing, I think, that in that segment, they told us 
He had been fired by WWE, yes. But he signed an NXT contract in kayfabe. The idea is now he's part of NXT. And I think that was missed. But we have a lot more to talk about. I do have a DM slide, though, coming in. From Tyler M at TDMEL52. He says, isn't it a slap in the face to the other people who got released that WWE used a real life situation for people losing their jobs for a storyline? It's a good question. And I think it's a fair question. And it's something that a lot of people are talking about. There are numerous things I want to say in this regard. Number one, while everyone got released for real, including Drake Maverick, Drake is the only one who was fired in kayfabe. He's the only one where they actually mentioned it on television. So if you're a kayfabe only watcher of WWE, which is a world in which they believe their product exists much of the time, then, or they try to, they try to tell us it exists much of the time, then it's only Maverick who had his job on the line. They never said kind of straight up that he was fired and was in the tournament on a last ditch effort to winning the title to save his career. They simply said his career was on the line. And he knew if he didn't win the title, then his career was over in WWE. So they didn't bring the pandemic and the coronavirus into the kayfabe, even though it was real life. But I also think that people need to realize you can get down on WWE and hate them for a lot of stuff. And if you don't like that they fired these people in the midst of a pandemic, that is your right to feel that way. We've already had long conversations on this show about how crappy it was and yet why the actual reasons that they did it, even though for humans, for us, it's not justifiable just to help your stock price, but we explained at least why they came to those decisions. But instead of focusing on the negative, instead of getting down on WWE, again, as you always can, for firing someone and using it as part of a storyline and then re-signing him, how about praising Drake Maverick for being fired by WWE, cutting a video, a real life, actual emotional, no promo video on social media, gaining a groundswell of support from fans, telling WWE, the company that fired him, hey, you had already announced me for this tournament you're going to be paying me anyway. I'd like to keep doing my job. And in doing so, forcing WWE's hand to kind of, because people do know that this happened in real life, work it into a storyline a little bit, continuing to cut great, not good, great promos throughout the entire process, continuing the groundswell and forcing WWE's hand to change its actual storylines we're assuming, to put him in the finals and then actually in real life getting a new WWE contract or having them pull his release or whatever the hell, it, however it worked behind the scenes and actually remaining employed. Do you know how difficult it is to be fired from a job and then still keep that job? It's not like, I mean, look, they, we talked about it. They fired two dozen people. How many of them are still employed by WWE? One, and his name is Drake Maverick. So I'm exceedingly impressed that this guy is a human being, as a person, and the fact that WWE did such a good job telling the story in kayfabe 
I appreciate it. I was emotional at the end of NXT. Why am I watching wrestling? If not to be entertained and emotionally invested. And they accomplished both of those with this storyline. So you cannot like it. You know, we talked about the Jeff Hardy thing, you know, on Tuesday's show. If you didn't like that, I am so much more understanding of that than this. But if you didn't like this because you think it's crappy of WWE to use a real life firing in a storyline, I'm not going to change your mind on that. But what I am going to tell you is it's constantly said that WWE storylines aren't realistic. Their characters do stupid things and, and the product sucks and so on and so forth. But then when WWE tries to go out and do something real, they get criticized for being for it being in poor taste. Well, this is WWE. I hate to tell you this. This is professional wrestling. You think the stuff that happened during the Attitude Era was all in good taste? No, it certainly wasn't. It's not often that you're going to get praise, critical praise for a rubber hand coming out of a woman um, following a, a sexual angle. Uh, an older woman, by the way, who's well past the birthing age. Uh, against with a man named Sexual Chocolate, right? Like uh, where you have uh, a porn star in Val Venus getting a his genitalia cut off or, or potentially cut off by a knife wielding Asian man. <laughs> now I know times have changed and we're you know twenty years later, okay, and 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 that's totally fine. But this this stuff it does not even come close to comparing to those things, right? So what you had here was WWE taking a situation and saying, man, we made a mistake. We never should have gotten rid of this guy. Or, wow, we got rid of this guy. And what did he do? He told us he still wanted to work. He said, I'm a company dude. I'm going to do what it takes to keep my job. And he went out there and did it. So I'm going to praise Drake Maverick. I'm going to say, hey, dude, congratulations on keeping your job during a really tough time where there's 40 million people unemployed in this country. And you know what? I'm going to say congratulations to WWE for putting together a compelling storyline that got me as a fan entertained. This is not a defense of WWE. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. I'm not going to change your mind. I'm telling you why I did like it. And that's all I need to say. People are also getting up in their feelings about Triple H bringing out the contract. Well, William Regal's not around. I believe he's in England, uh, or at least he's not showing up on TV due to the coronavirus. And Paul is a known kayfabe leader of NXT. So I'm not really sure who else has done it. By the way, I am extremely interested what Drake Maverick's contract says, because is it a talent contract? What if he is stepping in as an interim or assistant general manager of NXT? Maybe there's a little bit more to this that we don't know. I'm curious to find that out. But I did say this on Twitter. I think people's bias really shows when you can't enjoy a feel-good moment like this. If you don't love every part of it, that's okay. You don't have to. There's a lot of things in wrestling people like that I don't, and vice versa. But it was a feel-good moment. It was a great main event. And I am really, really curious to see whether it potentially won the quarter hour going head-to-head with Cody versus Jungle Boy on AEW. From a critical standpoint, it was the better main event. Okay, let's talk about the rest of NXT. Uh, Candice LeRae and Mia Yim, they over-delivered in the short time that it actually was a one-on-one match, and the female brawl that they had set up 
a six-woman tag team match at NXT TakeOver in your house. Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, and Tegan Knox against Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, I'm going to do the ultimate preview later, but I'm probably not going to include this match in that. Let's just say my prediction is the heels win this match. I did chuckle at the sudden out-of-nowhere mixed tag team match announcement with Keith Lee wearing like total comfortable sweats and Johnny Gargano in street clothes. And because of that, I did think it was a really smart finish to have Gargano use his keys, which would be in his pocket, you know, if he's not prepared for wrestling duty, and then having Candice LeRae get the roll-up win, and then Gargano squash Keith Lee's hand in the steps. I do wonder whether that plays into their takeover match. Next up was that match between Isaiah Swerve Scott and Tony Nese. Nice quick match, Swerve going over, you know, starting a storyline with Jack Alher or continuing it. Good job all around. Push, Swerve, I'll say it again. Uh, We had Breezango win the triple threat for the tag team number one contendership. As I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about AEW's tag team division, there's just an insane dearth of new tag teams, entertaining tag teams, tag teams I care about in NXT, evidenced by this match. Uh, We saw Undisputed Era again contend for the tag team titles. Lorcan and Birch, who are just kind of always there, but outside of that one takeover match, never really get the push. And Breezango, the fact that they were in this match, yet Indushur, who they had announced previously as a new tag team in NXT, was not even involved, despite the fact that they made a move on, at the time, the tag team champion in Matt Riddle. Uh, It was a little bit strange to see uh, Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish team up, and not Kyle O'Reilly, but it does seem like he's decided not to do anything in the ring or in the performance center. Um, And I think he lives in St. Louis, so maybe he's not traveling. I don't exactly know what happened with the Undisputed Era segment that they did in the limo, how they did that, but um, it does seem like O'Reilly has decided not to be wrestling at this time. It was a little crappy that it was a second distraction finish in as many matches on the show, but it was probably the only real way to get Brizango the win. But there's no chance they should beat Imperium. I do not care much about that match even happening. And then they did ultimately have Indusher stay, uh, you know, show up after the match was over. It just really didn't do anything for me. The tag team picture in NXT right now is as bad as it's ever been. Yes, Imperium is talented. Yes, Undisputed Era is talented. Yes, Lorcan and Birch can go in the ring, but I don't care about any of them right now. I've seen plenty of Undisputed Era. Imperium, their leash is only so long in terms of like, we are strong mat wrestlers and we do a really good job in the ring. Great, but you need someone to play off of and they don't have that. And Breezango certainly ain't it, despite the fact that Fandango and Tyler Breeze both good dudes and seem and good wrestlers as well. Uh, I did not think I would have something to say about the Aaliyah versus Santana Garrett match. And yet here we are. Uh, just like with Seth Rollins a few weeks ago, the concept of a disheveled character kind of losing his mind uh, Robert Stone in this case, it interests me. So I am curious to see where they go with it. Aaliyah does nothing for me, but Garrett was actually decently impressive in the ring. She's never had any gimmick or any real attention in NXT, but she does have a good look and she is athletic. I kind of feel like it's time to try something with her, but just her wearing multiple colors and a cape to the ring, that's not going to get it done. So if you're going to do anything with Santana Garrett, Let's actually figure out a gimmick for her and move on from there. Uh, They did mention the Chelsea Green thing. They originally had promised we were going to get some sort of update from Robert Stone. We never got that. So we're left kind of hanging here wondering what's going to happen with him, what's going to happen with her. There is certainly an idea, at least a suggestion from me after last week, 
that after that match with Charlotte, they should bring her up to the main roster, the primary roster, and make her Charlotte's tag team partner after she drops the NXT title. I think they would be great together. I don't know if they're going to do that, but it does seem like Chelsea Green might be done with NXT. I did think it was smart to have Cameron Grimes follow up the Finn Balor victory with another win, this time over Bronson Reed, who, by the way, is impressive impressive of himself. And I'm kind of interested to see long-term what his career is like in NXT and WWE. You know, he's just in a situation right now where there's no storyline that makes sense to get him involved in in a major way. So best I can tell, he hasn't had a win in NXT, at least not over anyone real. So they're trying to do something with Cameron Grimes. You know, whether it's going to work, I don't know. He's very talented in the ring. Um, But the character... It's kind of wearing on me right now. Uh, we'll see what they do. I'm going to give him the opportunity to kind of prove me wrong on it, but I do like him as a wrestler, so I'll give him a sh- give him a shot, give NXT a shot. It was a bad decision. We'll wrap up here with the TV show itself. Uh, NXT, after it was over, after the TV show was off the air, they went on Twitter and aired this awesome promo from Timothy Thatcher that, you know, he's a badass and he's the most destructive man in NXT. But one week after the fight pit was the main event of the show, the follow-up from the winner of that should be on your television program. You should be trying to put this guy over and put over this awesome match that got a lot of critical acclaim. Instead, they don't even mention it on the show, and they just have Thatcher on social media afterward. I opened this segment by talking about the terrible job that WWE and NXT do promoting this show, and that is another very good example of them making very small mistakes that have a larger impact in terms of their product. Okay, let's get to the ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver in your house. Regarding the set for this, are they going to do anything special? I don't know, but I really hope WWE understands the nostalgia factor here and that fans want something somewhat special for in your house. There are uh, one, two, three, four, there are five, five main matches on this card, plus the six woman tag. That was announced. So it's a six-match card. It's a pay-per-view airing Sunday uh, on WWE Network. And let's start with maybe the second most important match because the women I already mentioned is just a, it's mostly a throwaway there. Finn Balor against Damian Priest. This is a tough one because Priest needs an actual victory in a feud. But at the same time, Balor should be in the main event scene in NXT. And he can't really lose to Cameron Grimes and then lose to Damian Priest like this. Priest, to me, is someone who can still take losses and not ultimately be hurt. You can have him lose this feud to Balor, but then maybe have him feud again with Keith Lee or something and have him actually take the North American title. I don't know, uh, but Balor never actually turned face. So this is a very strange heel versus heel matchup where Priest is obviously the bigger heel for using like the baton to keep taking people's knees out. Ultimately, Balor losing to Priest, I just cannot see it. So I'm going to have Finn Balor as my prediction to win this match. Speaking of the North American Championship, you have Keith Lee defending the title against Johnny Gargano. And as I've said previously, I really wish this rivalry was more about them and their incredible ability, not their relationships and getting the wives involved. Uh, I guess in Keith Lee's case with Mia Yim girlfriend, I'm not exactly sure what their status is. Um, that, That said... Despite the storyline coming in being less than ideal, at least as far as I'm concerned, this match has the potential to absolutely steal the entire show. You have one of the best big man wrestlers in the world, one of the best small man wrestlers in the world. And 
I've said it already, I've used the word, but the juxtaposition between the two on this show in this match could be top tier. I am a little concerned that we're going to get an interference finish with Candice LeRae and Mia Yim running in, as we have seen every time these two have interacted. But if they can keep them away and allow this to be a real match, I don't really care who wins. I do think Keith Lee retains the title here, but these two could absolutely give us a 4.5, five-star match and be the best match on the show. Let's see if they actually do it. Karrion Cross in his first major match, will fight Tommaso Ciampa. This was a very simple build with the cross attack on Ciampa, but the entire feud and the entire storyline has been well executed. There's a mix of mind games and threats. Scarlet coming out during Ciampa's match and then cross cutting the promo on the Titantron. He feels carrying cross like a real threat. And when you're booking a match like this and this person is making their debut, There's only two ways to go. He can be so brutal and ruthless that it's a referee disqualification, which will set up another match in the future with a stipulation, no holds barred, whatever the case. That's option one. Option two is you put the guy over clean. And is it difficult to kind of envision Ciampa, who's this main event guy in NXT, who the fans are really behind? Is it tough to envision him losing the feud to Gargano and then coming out here a couple months later and losing to Karrion Cross? It is a little tough to see it. At the same time, if you want Cross to be legitimate immediately, which WWE, the way they've packaged him, I should say NXT, I'm sorry, the way they've packaged him and Scarlet, not just in the video packages, but the entrance and his persona, the camera angles, the way that Mauro Ronaldo talks about him, if you want him to legitimately be big, you need him to beat Tommaso Ciampa, the former NXT champion. So I do have Karrion Cross winning this match. For the NXT Championship, we have Adam Cole defending the title against Velveteen Dream in what was announced kind of out of nowhere as a backlot brawl. And as I've mentioned before, it was a major failure by NXT to not make a big deal out of the stipulation. They just kind of laid it out there this week as part of their prime target package after that botched negotiation segment last week. As I said, the negotiation segment probably should have happened two weeks ago. It should have certainly been better. Then last week, we should have had Regal make the announcement of the backlot brawl and WWE show some stuff about what it could be and make a big deal about it. And then this week, you do the prime target and maybe you have Cole and Dream cut promos about it. So just a failure in, w- in WWE with NXT to make this into something, to make it feel important. And if you're going to go so far as to pre-tape a cinematic match, I have a DM about this later, we'll talk about, make it feel important To me, this just doesn't, even though I am excited about it. Uh, Prime Target was fine, but it would have probably been better as separate segments, one with Cole and Undisputed Era, one with Velveteen Dream over the last couple of weeks. It's also strange that we do have Velveteen Dream contending for this title, but we are barely seeing him on television in the lead up. And this doesn't feel like a huge showdown, even though it has been a long-term storyline, including Dream's injured back, He was away for many months. Then he returns and there's been four months of him seeking this vengeance. So like, am I wrong about that? I mean, there's a, I I could certainly see where others feel like this is a huge momentous match. To me, it just feels like another title match where when you are going to potentially crown Velveteen Dream, you want it to be this epic showdown with Adam Cole. And it just doesn't feel that way to me. Now that said, the backlot brawl itself, 
based on the couple clips that we saw during that prime target, the setting looks sick. Half circle of cars with their headlights on, all surrounding the ring at night. I'm definitely excited for the match. Obviously, we saw the backlap brawl really come to prominence. And I don't know if WWE's done three total, this being this being the third, or this will be the second. But I do remember that certainly we had Roddy Piper versus Goldust at WrestleMania 12 in Anaheim. Uh, it really kind of would have been cool to have this match in this feud with Velveteen Dream, certainly according to some people, drawing some comparisons in some ways to Goldust, to have this be at WrestleMania 37, not either in the show itself or in the NXT show attached to it in Los Angeles and do it, you know, a full however many 25 years later. Uh, But obviously that's not the direction they're going. They're going to do it here. Nevertheless, excited about it. I do think it's going to be a good match. And we did have that interesting tease from Dexter Loomis during the NXT TV show about how he may impact this match, driving the rest of Undisputed Era, presumably away from the back lot and allowing Cole and Dream to actually have a one-on-one match. It would explain a lot of why Loomis has been involved in this feud, and it would certainly make for an interesting development. A side note, uh, speaking about NXT TV and Loomis, I'm not sure that Tortured Artist, which is what Mauro Ronaldo called him, is the right direction, and I hope it was kind of a throwaway line for Mauro and not the actual character that they're going to give Dexter Loomis, because while in real life, by the way, he's a legitimately good artist. And he did draw that caricature that they showed on TV. I don't really think that tortured artist is the gimmick for this guy when you are already thinking about a manic psychotic based on his music and his entrance and the way he's operated. You know, if this whole thing is about him being an artist and he starts showing up with like paint splotches on his pants, I may be out of there really quickly in terms of loving it. But nevertheless, Cold Dream NXT Championship I'm surprised, honestly, but I have Velveteen Dream winning the NXT title, Adam Cole's reign ending just after 365 days, a calendar year. It's going to be interesting to see how this match plays out, if they actually pull the trigger with Dream and what that means for Adam Cole, and we do have a DM later that will discuss that very topic. We're going to finish up, though, with the NXT Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair defending against Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai in a star-studded triple threat match. In terms of the prime target that they aired on NXT, this was far superior to the men's, and Io Shirai really got put over the way they featured her, which was long overdue to give her that type of character perspective. The question I have is, if not now, then when for Io Shirai? She's been there for two years, and she's been in the main event for basically the last calendar year. That said, it is tough to predict how this match is going to play out other than the fact that we think Charlotte Flair needs to drop the title, right? On one hand, you have Rhea Ripley, who could really use the win back over Flair. But are they actually going to let her pin Charlotte, who basically never loses clean? And as I mentioned, I think on Tuesday, hasn't lost a clean singles match with an actual like finisher in pinfall since 2018. Io Shirai would benefit massively from the title. But Ripley losing to Flair and then losing to Shirai, assuming she pins her, both in back-to-back major matches, that would be rough for the Ripley character. So then you start thinking, well, maybe Flair does retain and holds the title for another couple months, and Ripley gets that one-on-one rematch at SummerSlam or SummerSlam weekend. 
beats her and wins the title back. I think all three are legitimate possibilities. And the reason I saved this for the main event, I guess, of our NXT TakeOver Ultimate Preview is because I actually don't know who's going to win. I can make a legitimate case booking-wise, storyline-wise, and even in real life for all three of them winning. But the flair time with the NXT title, the experiment, it's over. It certainly did not pop the ratings. You look at Raw, Asuka's doing great, but they did lose Becky Lynch. So now they don't really have that true star. And Asuka's great, and you guys know I love her. She's my favorite woman in the entire company. But in terms of promos, in terms of going out there and promoting Raw, you know, she doesn't, she can't do that as well as Charlotte Flair can. So I do think this is an opportunity to take the title off Flair. And I did um, predict, I guess, that Ripley was going to win the title back. But now that I'm talking through it, I think I'm going to switch. And I'm going to go with Io Shirai winning her first NXT Women's Championship. Maybe it's a scenario where Charlotte hits natural selection and then locks Rhea Ripley in the figure eight. And then Io Shirai does a moonsault onto Ripley, knocking Flair's legs off and pinning Ripley and getting the one, two, three. That's what the Silver King would do if he was booking this match. Again, predictions, just guesses here. But I'm going to go late change here. I actually wrote down Rhea Ripley. I'm switching it up. I convinced myself Io Shirai is going to win the NXT Women's Championship. Okay, before we get out of here, a couple more very quick segments. Some DM slides, and then what's up next on SmackDown this Friday and Raw on Monday. But we're going to start with the DMs. First, Adam X. Parsons at Adam X. Parsons. He writes in, Adam Cole's contract. A lot of Adams. Parsons, Cole, Silverstein. Uh, Adam Cole's contract is set to expire by the end of the summer with his girlfriend, Britt Baker, in AEW. Do you think there's a good chance to see him switch Wednesday night shows by the fall? It's a fair question and a legitimate question. And I do think there's a legitimate possibility because certainly if you're AEW and you've seen what Adam Cole can do, you're offering the money. You're going to offer the opportunity. But in WWE, and especially in NXT, in NXT, Adam Cole is a big fish in a small pond. But he and Undisputed Era work so well together. It's a legitimate, good, entertaining faction. And it's something that WWE really needs on the main roster. So if you're asking me to give you percentages, I would say there's a 70% chance that he remains in the WWE family and a 30% chance that he goes to AEW. But of that 70%, I would say there's a 50% chance that he's in the main roster on Raw or SmackDown with Undisputed Era by the time the summer comes to an end and a 20% chance he's still in NXT. If he's still in NXT, by the time his contract runs out and he's talking to Paul Levesque and, and whoever, and he's like, guys, what's going on here? Um, then yeah, I could see him jump ship. I could definitely see it happening. He's friends with the elite. Um, obviously, you know, he was in the being the elite shows and, and he was a part of everything that they were doing. As Adam Parsons, as you mentioned, his girlfriend, Britt Baker, is in AEW. It makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, He's doing exceedingly well in WWE. Based on what I can tell, the fact that from a journalistic perspective, they throw interview options with Adam Cole out every time there's a major NXT event, not just because he's champion, but they love letting him talk and get exposure for the company. It seems to me like WWE really believes in him and have just been waiting for the right time 
to take the title off him and move them up to the primary roster. So my guess is all factors in to the ultimate preview with NXT TakeOver in your house. My guess is Cole drops the title and sooner than later, we see Undisputed Era on the main roster in WWE with Cole having signed a new contract. But is it possible that he shows up in AEW? Absolutely, I do think it is a legitimate possibility. We have Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He said, with the NXT title being a backlot brawl and the main event of Backlash being the greatest match of all time, I do not think it's the main event of Backlash, by the way. Uh, Is it safe to assume that fans will be seeing a lot more of these cinematic type matches until they are allowed back into venues? How much will this dilute the concept if we are to expect one or more every month? It is diluting the concept for sure. There's no question. Um, you know, the Gargano Champa match for me was the tipping point where I was kind of like, this is a disappointment. It didn't need to be this. We just wanted to see a really good wrestling match. The money in the bank worked. The stadium stampede from AEW, they both worked. Although money in the bank, I did think could have been done better, but it made sense. I don't know what greatest wrestling match of all time Edge and Randy Orton is going to be. We're assuming it's going to be cinematic in some ways, but we just don't know. So I'm going to hold off judgment on that. Regarding the backlot, I kind of already provided my opinion, which was if you're going to make a stipulation like this, build it up, make it a big deal. Fight Pit was a big deal and they didn't give us much time for that either. Uh, rather than just kind of throw it out there and say, oh yeah, this is a NXT title match and it's going to be special. It's all going to be based on execution. Not just for this, but for all of them. If they execute them well, fans are going to like them. If they are not executed well, fans are not going to be happy. And I think you saw Edge Orton, the brawl, which wasn't really cinematic, but still it was something they tried, something special they tried. It failed. People didn't like it. It was too long. It was too boring. There were some things people didn't like individually in terms of moves that were done in that match. Stadium Stampede, they tried something epic and they succeeded massively. Money in the Bank, WWE tried to do something epic as well, but didn't succeed to the level that AEW did with Stadium Stampede. So I think you have to judge each one individually, but I do think that WWE saw saw a lot of positive momentum from the Boneyard match and from the Firefly Funhouse match. And they said, hey, the fans like this. We're in a tough spot. Let's kind of do these until the wheels fall off. I hope they take a break. I hope they realize they don't need to have one all the time. And again, we're making the assumption that greatest match of all time is going to be one of those. We just don't know yet. So let's kind of pause and see what ends up happening at Backlash. Uh, Last DM here from Jason Jeter at JJeterLEO. Why do you think AEW has been consistently winning the ratings versus NXT? And what can NXT do to reverse the course? Well, there's a few reasons. To start, you have to remember AEW is a primary brand. It is AEW is the only thing that AEW is worried about NXT is third on the list of things that WWE is worried about. And honestly, it's probably even fourth when you think of like Raw, SmackDown, then pay-per-views, then NXT, if you even want to think of it in that manner. So there is a significant amount of momentum behind AEW as well. Not just from the network perspective, with TNT promoting the absolute shit out of AEW, which is great, which is exactly what any company, any brand should want. But there's also momentum from people knowing that AEW is not WWE. And there's a lot of people who are just either anti-WWE or they don't really like the product and they see NXT as too similar or, you know, 
it's they think that, hey, well, ever since it moved to TV, it's become worse or whatever the case might be. AEW has its own fan base that is simply separate from WWE. I think back in the day during the Monday Night Wars, you had Raw and you had Nitro and WWE and WCW, and you had some fans that were only fans of one or the other, but the shows were very similar. They were really going after the same people. And because of that, there was a lot of crossover where the ratings would really swing drastically back and forth sometimes. But even if you think about that rivalry, you know, it's famous. Nitro won 83 weeks in a row. And then Raw won, and it never stopped winning, and it was over. And then WCW eventually died, not just because Raw won the ratings battle, but because of other things that happened internally in WCW. So what needs to happen for NXT to reverse course? A couple of things. They need to promote the show far better. And I'm not going to repeat myself because I already told you multiple times in this episode and over the last few weeks that they don't do a good enough job. NXT also needs to smarten up. And I'm not saying that they need to take primary roster superstars and bring them down. But what they need to do is really start strengthening their divisions again and create must-see moments and must-see characters on the television show. NXT, as great as it always has been, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that NXT has always been great in this new era of NXT, but it's always been about the wrestling. It's really been about the takeovers. The takeovers have been exceptional, where the television shows are entertaining, and many weeks they were the best wrestling TV on because Raw and or SmackDown were bad or whatever the case. But what's happened is because NXT has moved to television and has moved to two hours, the turnover of talent has stopped. And we're seeing a lot of the same people. We saw Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, and Adam Cole in a main event rivalry for basically two years. And it got a little bit stale. So I think what we're starting to see from NXT with Dexter Loomis and Velveteen Dream and Karrion Cross, etc., is a turnover. And we're starting to see new stars being made and getting fresh and people starting to get excited about the product again. So NXT needs to create excitement and they need to, again, longer main events, real matches, stakes, uh, and just major storylines that make you tune into the product and promotion that tells you that what's happening in the product is important. Right now, AEW is doing all of those things correctly and NXT, they're just still giving you good wrestling. And there's nothing wrong with that and I appreciate it. But it just doesn't feel really, outside of the individual episode of TV that is booked strong, it just does not feel like NXT is really trying to compete. And, you know, a lot of people say that Vince McMahon doesn't really think they're going to win, doesn't really expect NXT to win the ratings war. He just wants NXT to be a disruptor. The 700,000 people that watch NXT each week are 700,000 people who are not watching AEW, who make sure that AEW at least for now, stays under a million. And that AEW doesn't get to 1.2, 1.3, while WWE shows, granted, we're in a unique situation, but they were flirting with 2 million. And now they're at like 1.8, 1.7 because of the pandemic. So NXT is doing its job in WWE's eyes, even if it doesn't win the ratings war. And at some point, the idea that, you know, AEW has won 40 ratings versus NXT winning five doesn't really matter much. Uh, because we're not in the ratings war era like we were on Monday nights. Not, wrestling is not as popular now as it was then. When you're dealing with multiple millions 
shifting back and forth. Now you're talking about, you know, some weeks it's even, some weeks NXT is slightly up, other weeks AEW has 100,000 advantage. And that's kind of like the max. There's 1.3 to 1.5 million people who watch wrestling on Wednesday nights. There were, you know, 3 million people that watched both Raw and Nitro separately, you know, more than that back in the day. So the audience is smaller uh, for NXT to win the ratings war. It's going to consistently, um, it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of good decision-making. And right now with NXT, despite the product being good and me being extremely excited for NXT TakeOver in your house on Sunday, the effort is not being made to have the television program actually compete and beat AEW. And does it need to? I don't know that it needs to, but I do hope that answered your question, at least my perspective on the AEW and NXT battle. Okay, let's get out of here with what's up next in the pro wrestling that we watch. Uh, WWE SmackDown coming up on Friday. Not a lot announced for the show. We do have the women's tag team titles on the line, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against Bayley and Sasha Banks. I don't know what they're going to do here. I can't imagine them changing the titles, but clearly the Iconics are involved in a storyline on Raw. You have Bailey and Sasha Banks involved in a storyline on SmackDown. It makes sense to me that ultimately we're going to get a triple threat six-woman match at WWE's next pay-per-view, which is Backlash, in a couple of weeks. So assuming they go in that direction, you have to think Bliss and Cross retain the titles here. I don't think the Iconics are going to interfere, but... I guess considering there is this brand-to-brand invitational, theoretically they could. It would seem like a waste considering that WWE has smartly gone away from that after having Corbin and Charlotte on the shows recently. So we'll see. I would prefer the Iconics stay on Raw and then just have this match and build up two separate storylines on both shows that reach a climax at Backlash. Uh, Jeff Hardy will also be addressing last week's hit and run incident. We already talked on Tuesday's show. We had a long discussion about whether this was fair or foul. If you want to go back and listen to it, I suggest that you do. But clearly, they're going to go with the angle of Sheamus being the perpetrator here, setting Jeff Hardy up, which will continue their feud, supposedly, or one would assume, to a showdown at Backlash. Maybe there will be a stipulation there. That could be interesting. And then we have Miz and Morrison having a warning for Braun Strowman. Don't know what that means. I've already told you I do not care about the main event picture on SmackDown. I do not care about Braun Strowman as champion. I would much rather have seen some type of update or something advertised about the Intercontinental Tournament. I know they're saving that match between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles for the following week, Uh, certainly anticipating that. But this week's SmackDown, the lineup does seem pretty weak, as does the lineup for Raw, which all that has been announced so far is Street Profits against Viking Raiders in a decathlon. Hopefully the climax to the silliness that we've seen between them. Some parts good, most parts bad. And Christian holding the Peep Show, returning to Raw for the Peep Show with Edge as the guest. And I think we all know what we're going to see there. Randy Orton coming in, RKOing the hell out of Christian um, and getting in Edge's face. So hopefully that's what goes down. But no matches announced for Raw. We don't really know much of what's happening on WWE's next two shows. So we will, you know, hold out our expectations and see what goes down Friday and Monday. And we will be back Tuesday to discuss those things. But don't forget, I somehow keep forgetting to mention it when I do mention NXT TakeOver in your house, but we will have instant analysis of NXT TakeOver in your house Sunday night immediately after the show is off the air. So don't forget to fire up your phone, your laptop, whatever you use to listen to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We will be with you 
very late Sunday night slash early Monday morning. Of course, we will be back Tuesday for our WWE episode and Thursdays for AEW and NXT next week. I appreciate all of you listening to another edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Follow me at Silverstein Adam. Drop five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about this show. You know I have three words for you, but there's someone else also who would like to say goodbye. Elizabeth, come on out here, man. Oh, oh. We got something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone. Yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance. Does, no, does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Randy no. And all the greatest wrestler past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, let's say goodbye. See you Sunday night. Bye for now.